1: But when I need to feel confident, I play the theme tune from RuPaul's Drag Race in my head and pretend I am a queen. That's right. When I need confidence, I pretend I'm a man dressed up as a woman.
0: (laughs) I don't think you're alone there. I'm a feminist, but I was reading about the suffragettes going on hunger strikes in jail so I could have the vote. And I thought... It is kind of ironic that the first big act of feminism was basically a diet.
1: I am a feminist, but my current definition of feminism is a lot of women and some men telling each other we're wrong. You're not wrong. (sighs) Someone will be right one day, but she's not been born yet. (laughs) So until then, let's just keep shouting. (laughs)
0: I'm a feminist, but when I was reading about the suffragettes going on hunger strikes in jail, I thought, I pretty much know that I would have lasted 18 hours before I'd thought, feminism needs me to keep my strength up and had a sandwich (laughs) in the name of my (laughs)
2: principles.
0: (laughs) I just would have. I just could not have done the hunger strike bit. I just couldn't have done it. But I would have justified it. I wouldn't have just gone, well, I'm weak. I would have gone, no, there's a reason why I should have the sandwich. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah, but I respect that. If you're going to protest...
1: Have some food. <laughs> I mean, yes, everyone should have food. Um, I think it sounds sensible. And what kind of sandwich would it have been?
0: Well, a tuna, but not, not, not a vegan tuna.
1: Watch the carnivore stutter. <laughs>
0: I'm, I'm more pesky than anything now.
1: Oh, yeah, it, you're pesky. If it
0: wasn't for those pesky terrians, I would have got away with it. <laughs>
1: I am um, a. Uh... It's the only pun in the show, so suck it up. <laughs> and also, with editing, I've got a feeling it won't be in the show. So, Nor will that a feminist, but I am keen to stress how much gender equality involves the male. Our culture gives very unhelpful, restricting messages to men, and feminism needs to support the education of males in terms of expressing emotions, supporting fathers who want to see their children, and be aware of the inequalities affecting males. Like I found out this week, 84% of homeless people are men. Can you imagine if that statistic was the other way around? Feminism would be so involved. Mm. And I feel like we have to be really involved. I it's really important. And I'm really excited about discovering this new area of my own feminism. And I'm not just saying that because I'm a man dressed up as a woman.
0: <laughs> I'm a feminist, but when Sarah Pascoe told me before the show that someone she knew had shagged Tom Hiddleston in an Airbnb, <laughs> and I said, do you think he only shags models? And she said, I think shaggers just shag women who are willing. I said, I can be willing. <laughs> <laughs> Live from King's Place in London, the spontaneity shop presents The Guilty Feminist with Deborah Francis White and guest co-host Sarah Pascoe and very special guest David Medile talking about female archetypes. <laughs> This is The Guilty Feminist, the podcast in which we explore our noble goals as 21st century feminists and the hypocrisies and insecurities which undermine them. Uh, So uh, firstly, hello and welcome. Thank you for coming out in an afternoon. You're welcome. I love, I like to... I like to look. There's a jumper in the front row that says sushi rolls, not gender rolls. <laughs> nice. Except vegan. vegan. Uh oh. <laughs> She's they, a vegan. You can have avocado sushi. I mean, it's that sushi. You can have vegan sushi. You can. Sushi. But what I'm questioning there is is the sushi you're eating female fish or male fish? I didn't ask. You didn't ask. You didn't think to <laughs> ask, did ask. you? Doesn't care. No. <laughs> That's rolls. all I'm saying.
1: That's all all I'm saying. fish can be sushi. <laughs> Equally
2: good. <laughs>
0: Equal opportunity. Well, well. What you're saying is, if I were a fish, my chances of career advancement would be better than if I'm a human woman. Because <laughs> not... I might end up like in Nobu. I'd end up in prep, <laughs> fucking Monje. I, I know I would. The next time I see you, you're like
1: penciling on girls <laughs> and holding your breath in the sink.
0: Uh, is anyone else wearing a cool jumper? You are.
1: Oh, you oh. are. Oh, next well, to set rolls. The minute you started picking on someone with writing, she kind of put no, her arms across her chest. <laughs> no, I'm just, I'm
0: just interested. What does it say? Feminism. You can't go like that if you're wearing a feminism top. You can't go, I can't show you. I'm too embarrassed to show you my feminism top. What does it say?
1: It says feminism, the radical notion that women
0: are people. Ah, then in that case, you have to go proud. You can't come. It's a radical notion and I don't know if I really you don't you don't have to agree with it. Um, you can't you can't if you've got radical on your top you've got to tits out not tits out get your you top t- on
1: <laughs> sorry, no that's see a
0: really good slogan <laughs> no I think that's what get your tits out for your lads you really get means page- get your tits out for the lads they can read about radical feminism <laughs> so in all page three and glamour models are <laughs> actually
1: propounding really incredible statements about gender equality but it's just on the floor
0: uh, in the dressing room and no one's learning it's just on the floor do you think they've all taken off no more page three tops to go on page three
2: Yeah, yeah. maybe.
0: I would go on page three if I could write a feminist slogan in eyeliner on my tits.
1: OK, I'll call someone. (laughs) They
0: won't have me. They wouldn't have me. I'll pay them. No.
1: (laughs) This is too good. This is too good to lose. Femin, that organisation, they write stuff in body
0: paint on their naked chests. There you go. Do you know what? I'd be very happy to be naked in any publication from my upper abs up. Because I've been doing a lot of Pilates. That section's OK this section down here needs work. You can't the, be horrible to yourself when you've just been imbibing
1: messages about a female body. So it's absolutely fine that some people like and dislike parts of their body. I'm just going to make sure the publication is like women who are hot from their belly button up.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I can nail that publication. Can somebody start that blog <laughs> at so at that the I the can moment, be on it? At the moment, it's just a page. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. just a free page I'm giving out
1: with a half-naked picture of it's, you. It's true. <laughs> uh, and on the back, it just says she wanted it. No. <laughs> she
2: asked for this. She
1: happen.
0: asked. She wanted maybe this I could happen. write asking for it across my t- Sarah Pascoe, before Hello. the show, just told me a bombshell, which regular listeners will know is the most exciting thing I've ever heard. She had dinner with John
1: Ham. <laughs> I was trying to work out my feminist. We, we were talking about my feminist butts, and also this was a few years ago, so it's not recently I've had dinner with John Ham. But I've always been trying to work out a way to tell you I've had dinner with John Ham in the feminist butt. Could never you,
0: Even if you just said, "I'm a feminist," but when I had dinner with John Hamm, I never would have heard the rest of it because yeah. I would have just gone, "What happened?" <laughs> so I did a program with him called Todd Margaret, David Cross wrote, oh,
1: and um, they got all of the didn't. cast to go out to dinner. And I didn't have any scenes with him, so that's when I met him. And he's incredibly charming, and he really loves stand-up comedy. And he dresses badly, <gasps> which is no, which is good because it means you're not like with Don Draper. Oh. Um, you're with this guy with big trainers and. Um, <laughs> Oh, like, you know. I'm slightly disappointed. No, no, it's good because it's like, oh, he's a normal person whose knees hurt if he wears proper shoes. And, uh, <laughs> so, like, really lovely, really charming, really lovely to everyone. The waiter, just because it was him and Will Arnett and David Cross all around the table, he just couldn't deal with who he was serving. And Every time he came into the room, the waiter blushed.
2: Oh. I know, and they
1: were all so lovely to him because of this. And then we all went out for a cigarette. I don't normally smoke, but I was like, I'm smoking with Don Draper. Oh. <laughs> Smoking with Don Draper, and then the next series, they wrote my character to just be with his character. I was going to play his therapist, and all of my scenes were just the two of us. And then a week before, he pulled out, and my character was cut,
0: but I still got paid. But also, my character that was is cut down. That's the saddest story I've ever I heard. Know. I didn't know it was going to end. Tragically, that. I know you didn't know, did you? I didn't any, see that iceberg coming tragically. towards the boat of Sarah and John. Dun- Why did he drop out? Because did he have a filming? Coach? I think he's a busy man in Hollywood. You think he had better things to I do. Honestly, if that had happened to me, I wouldn't have got out of bed ever since then. If I'd been told I had one-on-one scenes with John Hamm... OK, I think you've got other things to live for, Debs. No. Why are you trying to destroy I me? i like, go to bed. No! There's, there's no point saying I went back to bed. No, I'm just, I'm just saying I love John Hamm more than you, clearly, because you're up and around. Oh. You're living your life and getting on. That's true. He actually asked me had I ever been on a podcast... <laughs> did Just, you say yes the guilty feminist or had you not been, on it, not been then? on it yet fuck, fuck.
3: Yet. if i
1: ever meet him again i'll find a way he would love to he loves going on podcasts that's what he was asking that's like he's big thing
2: <laughs> 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 <laughs>
0: <laughs> 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 tweet him it. now tweet him now he's not on twitter is right? no, no, he find him on, now find him twitter. now uh, oh my fucking god now we don't normally have men on our podcast but we've got one today
1: I know, it's never happened before. I think it's really exciting because the topic that we're talking about is archetypes of women and female archetypes, and it feels for the first time like something I'm interested to have a male perspective on. Indeed. (laughs) My entire life, I've never cared what a man's thought. (laughs) It's basically what you're saying. I'm slightly interested.
0: So, yeah, so I said to Sarah, who should we talk about female archetypes to? And she said... I suggested
1: a very, very bright person who's got an incredible show on at the moment called David Badil.
0: And I said, what, the football's coming home guy? (laughs) And she went, Yes, yeah. yes, yeah, because he's got it. this amazing show. So I went to see the amazing show. And really, it is interesting because David has a unique perspective on his mother that I think yes. I've never heard a show like it Absolutely. before. Absolutely,
2: I think
1: that's why it's been so popular, is a lot of the things that he's talking about very, very openly, but very, very well thought out. And I mean, the mother-son relationship is really fascinating anyway. But to hear it from a male perspective, I thought was very interesting.
0: Yeah, it kind of blew me away. I've thought about it a lot. But he's not coming on yet. Oh, okay. uh, so you're going to have to wait for that excitement because we should do our challenges yes. very quickly. Yes, okay. Um, so what was your challenge? I decided to think a
1: lot about the Madonna-whore dichotomy in terms of the idea that you've got this kind of virginal woman who's perfect and motherly and nurturing, and then you have this other woman who's kind of salacious and sexy. And the problem with both of them, for me, is that it's about other people projecting. It's about what you are to other people. If mm. you do fit into one of those roles culturally, I think that's happened quite a lot. But it's, always, it's never about her and her subjectivity. So I thought, I'm going to find a third one mm. that is completely about her, and I have. And it's called The Masturbator. So you now have Madonna, the whore, and The Masturbator. So she is sexual, but only for herself. And she is nurturing and kind, but she's also very busy with her hand down her pants. And, and I was thinking about how it's the exact opposite of being there for other people, because the thing with masturbation is that the entire world exists in a way as stimuli for you in terms of your imagination, but the pleasure is all yours. And then I started thinking a lot about, because um, I'm single, like treating, masturbation more like something that I would do with a lover, like I would make lots of effort if there was a real person in my bedroom so I just started doing the same things by myself and I um, really hope my flatmate doesn't listen to this because she'll find out where her bath oil has gone um, <laughs> yeah, but essentially that's I've had a very wanky week for feminism and mm. I
0: don't feel guilty <laughs> I am so making you a t-shirt <laughs>
1: I'm just going to see if this is going to work. Happy you are. If you have that in your head at all times, <laughs> as you're walking around, to make you feel better. Now, I'm aware lots of people still haven't seen RuPaul's Drag Race. Who has seen RuPaul's Drag Race? Woo! That's it. There's two types of people: people who haven't seen RuPaul's Drag Race and people who love it more than their parents. And there's there's, there's really not that much in between. So my journey, my journey with RuPaul's Drag Race was that everyone kept recommending it to me, and I didn't want to watch it because it's men dressing up as women, and I considered it entirely insulting and stupid. And then when people kept going, "No, you would really like it. I think you'd really engage with it," I was like, "Right, okay. I am going to watch RuPaul's Drag Race. I'm going to watch it with a pad and a pen. I'm going to write down everything that offends me. And the next time someone recommends it, they're going to get a live." TED talk on gender assimilation in (laughs) modern times because I'm a fun lady and um, and, uh, so I sat down to watch it with my pad and my pen I genuinely did and I found it so incredible as a show now partly it was because there were all of these stories and all these voices that I had not heard before in terms of the mostly gay men who were taking part in the show their journey into drag their journey to coming out to their families also their relationships with their father which are even more fucked up than like women's relationships with their fathers it's such a compassionate and humane show and it's very funny and entertaining and it is inspiring because all of the men who are dressing up as women and some of them are exquisitely beautiful None of them are passing for female, and that is because they are so confident. They just swan around, flicking their hair, accepting compliments. (laughs) I don't know a woman you can say something nice to. Like, oh, Jenny, that's a lovely dress. Oh, no, it isn't. I just found it in a bin. So, so my first thing is like that's why I've taken it as a learning experience. We have to learn from them. I feel like a lot of my, especially my adult life, I have felt like I am not good at being a woman because I don't dress up very well and I'm quite, I don't really like washing. I mean, like, I don't, I have, I've got dirty hair, I'm a dirty girl. Um, like, I'm, I'm disgusting and I've always felt like I'm failing at womanhood and learning about drag. If a man can look more feminine than I can, that's because all of the things I think are feminine are like stuck on stuff. And so it was actually really releasing for me. It's like I'm not bad at being a woman, I'm just crap at drag. Uh,
2: LAUGHTER um,
1: so uh especially like since my late 20s a lot of my time is spent thinking about female sexuality. When I was researching for my Edinburgh show in 2014, I found out loads of stuff in terms of our evolution that had been ignored by the people who'd first theorised evolution in the 19th century, in terms of female activity in our species. I'm just going to talk about it a little bit, but then we'll talk about Marilyn Monroe. So, um, <laughs> so, All interlinks, but basically, there's a thing called sperm selection, which exists through lots of species, which is where males release sperm that then compete with other males to make sure they're more likely to impregnate, and it might be that they're sperm like, with lots of birds, can stay alive for ages, or with some insects, is a thing like It will make a plug so that other sperm can't get up inside the female. And human beings have sperm competition as well. Men have two kinds of sperm, kamikaze and egg getters, and they're the only ones that can fertilize an egg. Kamikaze fight and block. If a man doesn't masturbate about once every three days, his sperm becomes geriatric and isn't very good at fighting anymore. What's really interesting is it really split open theories about sexuality because there is no reason for that thing to have evolved unless women were multi partnering as part of our evolution. So there's this whole new theory about women as sexual beings. there's other things that I just think are so interesting. So women across every single culture they've ever studied are more vocal during sex than the male. We make more noise. And the theory has always been it speeds up the male orgasm if you're heterosexual. Um, so not that if you're not heterosexual, it wouldn't speed a man up. I'm sure. <laughs> I'm sure it would. What I'm just trying to say is I'm talking about things in a very heteronormative way. I'm just obviously, I'm talking about a man and a woman here. So um, the theory is now that women do that so that local men can hear her and know that she is having sex and might be up for some more afterwards. Yeah. Yeah, so it's literally the equivalent. It's like it's a woman's just like calling out to the guys, in uh, like, don't worry, mate, <laughs> he'll be asleep in a minute. Um, and, so, and I'm sure you're quite aware of this, but um, male and females in our species react very differently to orgasms, with men it has have a very sensitive effect, and it gets them very sleepy, whereas women have a thing called heightened arousal, where we stay aroused in an aroused state for several hours, and we can be stimulated to orgasm again and again. And the theory for that is that we multi-partnered, and we kind of roamed off... And had more sex the theory there is literally that men fall asleep so they can't stop the woman leaving um, Yeah, so it's really fascinating I thought it was important to say the reason I wanted to talk about Marilyn Monroe is I walked past a salon on Oxford Street that has a massive picture of Marilyn Monroe kind of in the waiting room it's a black and white very classic Marilyn Monroe big lips beautiful eyes looking sultry and I had just listened to a podcast about Marilyn Monroe and found out lots of things I didn't know so she had endometriosis and um, it was the reason she had so many miscarriages she couldn't work when she was on her period because she had so much pain it was written into her content always when she's on her period she can't work she's in absolute agony it was the reason she took so many uppers and downers and pills right from a really young age endometriosis is really common and it completely cripples some women's lives and it's still really really terribly doctors don't know about it they don't tell you that's probably what you've got and just in case you don't know what it is is that the lining from your womb Little, bit, little cells every month come out of your fallopian tubes. Now, it happens to all women who have wombs, and those cells attach themselves to other organs. Now this can happen to any of them all the way up to your brain. It then means that when your body is given hormonal cells and it needs to contract the womb and get the womb lining out, it does that on the other organs so you get pain throughout your body and actually if you have them on your brain as well you can have a lot of mental health problems as well so it's a really really terrible thing the other thing Marilyn Monroe did was do enemas before jobs so she had a flat stomach her contract had her waist all of her measurements were owned she couldn't change them or she could get sued when she was filming she'd put stuff up her bum and that would make her shit herself and then she would have a flat stomach for filming and it's so incredible that this woman is kind of set up as this ideal of femininity well it's periods and shit guys when them. Um, they did her autopsy her bowel her lower intestine was smooth because she'd been doing so many enemas and she was putting drugs up her bum so they got into her bloodstream quicker. Anyway, I know this sounds gross, but I think it's really important that we prick these things, that other people are having a better time and being more perfect. She was absolutely miserable. Apparently, in between every scene of Some Like It Hot, she cried, and she cried because she just had a miscarriage and her heart was broken, and because she couldn't bear how stupid this character was. The character she was playing, an intelligent person who wants to be an actor, she couldn't tell that these were men dressed up as women. Like All of the time. which brings us back to drag again. uh, Somehow, (laughs) via Marilyn Monroe... (laughs)
0: was to research female role models or archetypes, to research female archetypes. I wanted to see how many I would fall into I got this from a website called Udemy, um, U- looking at the Jungian female archetypes. Okay. Um, so the first one is the innocent. The innocent archetype is often the naive, wide-eyed traditionalist, eternally optimistic, faith-based, saint-like, and yearns to do the right thing. Doesn't exist, mate. Well, I think, pretending, I, pretending. I, think I identified Kill with that. Kill someone. I identified with <laughs> this from when I was a Jehovah's Witness. And if you don't know I was a Jehovah's Witness, don't worry, I'm not going to lock the doors and get out of cart. <laughs> I am now an atheist, very much so. But I was a teenage Jehovah's Witness and right into my early 20s. And I dressed like Alice in Wonderland, and I suffered from late-onset virginity. <laughs> um, then there's the hero. The hero is a common archetype. Uh, it says here in action TV film, The Lady Rising from the Ashes. Famous hero archetypes include Joan of Arc, Lara Croft, um, <laughs> that one from The Hunger Games. Oh, so two uh, fictional and one mentally ill. <laughs> And I thought to leave the Jehovah's Witnesses, that's what I had to do. I had to become the hero. And recently I went to Canada to help a young man who'd heard my Radio 4 show about the Jehovah's Witnesses, which, by the way, is on BBC Radio 4 Extra at the moment, which I guess means it's on iPlayer again. I went to find this young man in Canada and help him out of the cult without a judicial proceeding, which means everyone has to shun you. Mm -hmm. So I feel like I have been the hero. The orphan is a regular girl and is often working class, desire to belong, feel, seen and be loved. Their main desire is to fit in. And I think I was an orphan for 10 days in the hospital when my biological mother left. And my father always used to say the first time we saw you, you were blue with the cold and so thin. Last fucking time that happened, I'll tell you that for nothing. (laughs) Um, The caregiver and nurturer... Uh, this is a mother figure archetype. It's uh, someone who has a tendency to save, feed, or put everyone else's needs before their own. Mary Poppins is a famous caregiver, uh, and Maria from The Sound of Music, both nannies, and I was an nanny. Oh, yeah. And I have what I call a fairy godmother complex. Because if you were to say to me, could you read my screenplay and just you know, give me some notes, yeah. I would find it so hard not to also start up a Kickstarter for you or introduce oh, you to my also, best contact at Film4. Do you four.
1: write my screenplay for me? <laughs> <laughs> I, would, I would, I would. I would do that. I, I don't have one. So.
0: Oh, fuck, I love being functional in people's <laughs> lives. And I know that comes from shunning. But I feel like if I'm functional <laughs> to you, you will keep me adjacent. Yeah. And I know that's a deep, dark, psychological that's problem I, that I, that's Daniel That's why could... I always
1: pay for everything in relationships. <laughs> Is it? Yeah, same thing. My mum trained
0: me to do it. My mum had
1: no money, but she was taking out credit cards in her name so that she could still buy men's stuff. And she's like, if you buy them stuff, they stay. (sighs) I've still got mobile phone contracts and ex-boyfriends' names.
0: Let's move on. (laughs) Uh, The rebel, they believe in shock value, rule-breaking, shaking up the system. This is like Rizzo from Greece. I have never really been this. I think adopted children Mm. who end up in cults are by definition eager to please and be liked. I think the guilty feminist is my best effort to say, fuck you, I won't do what you tell me, Mm. but... Then there's the explorer, who believes in seeing the world. I've got a lot of air miles, I mean fair. Uh, That's Dora the Explorer and Amelia Earhart, (laughs) both
2: examples.
0: (laughs) I've been to Chicago and Germany within six days, so I think I qualify there. The lover and the seductress. The lover's main desire is intimacy. A lover puts relationships and physical, emotional intimacy above all things. Our famous figures are Scarlett O'Hara, Lolita. Mm. Um, Carrie Bradshaw, Eva Peron.
1: I wish there weren't so many fictional examples.
0: There's so many. There's like a thousand of those. Does it count? My husband produces my podcast. Uh, the creator, that's the innovator, thinker. And I think that one, if I was in solitary confinement, I'd write a novel in my head. I think that one is the one that speaks to me the most. And there's the jester, mm. the spunky kid. I think that's you.
1: What? No, I was, jester. I was a little working-class orphan you did. I nearly cried when you read her out.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that, was, that was that one? This is Mary Tyler Moore, Carol Channing. Dory in Finding Nemo.
1: A fish? fish?
2: <laughs> Yeah, We're not, both flat,
0: really. I'm no,
1: I'm, nah, I
2: don't
0: know. No, you don't think you are? No. Nah. Okay. The sage, the truth seeker, the librarian. The sage is the one who seeks truth, knowledge. Their motto is the truth will set you free. Well, that's also the Jehovah's Witness motto, so fuck that.
1: <laughs> Unless you're in a van. <laughs> Do they say that? They don't say Unless that. Unless we've locked the van doors, in which case, nothing. Nothing. <laughs> nothing which will is sort will set of the free. Jehovah's Witnesses. Yeah.
0: The ruler and the boss, there is part of me that does think I would make an excellent benign dictator. Um, Catherine in Taming of the True. And it has like sixty
1: lines and is thought of as being this like really terrible character. She barely speaks in that play. She like kicks
0: in once and that's it. Written by a fucking man. When they say Shakespeare was a woman, you just go... <laughs> um, and the magician of the free spirit is like the manic pixie dream girl. Mm. Uh, for example, Zooey Deschanel. No, they're the ones. <laughs> they're the ones that I just thought was interesting yes. to sort of consider. And I feel like I do fall into nearly all of them in some way or another. But isn't that a
1: little bit like reading out horoscopes? I feel like if you'd read out all of the horoscopes just then, all of us would go going, yeah... Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I am an Will introvert it? that also likes going out sometimes. That is me. It's what they call weighted sentences, isn't it? So you say two things, so it describes
0: absolutely everyone. No, that's true, but I'm interested in sort of the Jungian archetype yes. so
1: I yes. can
2: see
0: who I fit into.
1: Please, welcome to the microphone, Deborah Francis White! Yeah.
0: So, as many of you will know, I'm adopted. And a few years ago, I found my biological mother. And in the first conversation I ever had with her after we did the niceties, I asked a question that I had brainstormed very carefully to get the wording right. And the question went like this What can you tell me about my father? And she went, Oh, oh, I'm sorry to tell you this, but he was married to somebody else. And I said, Oh, Devon, I've always known that. She said, Who told you that? I said, "Well, my mother told me. I guess my mother told me when I was old enough to understand so I would know that she had no choice but to give me away. She always used to say, well, she couldn't have married the father because he was married to someone else. And I said, it's fine, it's fine, I've always known that. She said, oh. And I said, no, 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 I always imagined, like, it was kind of glamorous in a way, like, you were this young, ingenue, and he was, like, a cad, like Don Draper from Mad Men. (laughs) She said, oh, yeah, I guess he was a bit of a cad. I said, what was his name? She said, what are you going to do with that? I said, probably just a little light Googling. She said, the thing is, I don't think I told him. I said, what? She said, I don't think I told him. I said, I think you'd remember if you had. That's a conversation that had come back. I'm knocked up, you're married to someone else. What are we going to do? I said, Devin, if he doesn't even know about me, he's just a sperm donor. I said, oh, just, just tell me his name. She told me it was an Irish name. I and mean, I can't tell you what it is, so let's call him Patrick O'Malley. <laughs> She said, what are you going to do with it? I said, I wouldn't worry, Devon, even if I did give him a call. He probably gets calls like this every week. He's probably got hundreds of kids. She said, yeah, he probably has. (laughs) And I couldn't find anything out about him. And I thought, well, that's that. Cut 2 I'm in New Zealand and I have met my three biological sisters. Now, Mel, the middle sister, she is um, forthright. And she said... Has mum told you anything about your biological father? I said, no, I don't think she wants to talk about it. She said, you've got a right to know. I said, yeah, I I don't really want to bring it up. She said, oh, I'll bring it up. (laughs) So that night at dinner, she just went, mum had a wonderful time when she was young, didn't you, mum? She said, no, I didn't. She said, yes, you did. You were engaged to a pop star. She said, no, I wasn't. She said, yes, you were. You sent his ring back when you met dad. She said, yes, but it wasn't an engagement ring. It was just his ring. He left it in my shower. She said, what was he doing in your shower, Mum? She said, he just came over one day and he was a bit dirty. She said, yeah, I bet he was. And I thought, oh, my God, my father's a pop star. This is why I can find out nothing about Patrick O'Malley. That was a complete red herring. My father is a pop star. My father is a pop star. I said, how did you meet a pop star, Devon? She said, well, I really liked him. So I sent away for a signed photograph and he sent one back. So I thought, well, I should send him one, to be polite. (laughs) And I put my address on the back of it and the next thing I knew it was knocking on my door, which apparently is what they did before Facebook. <laughs> Can you imagine if Harry Styles was tweeted by some young hot fan and he just thought... Oh. I mean, I only do that bit because I'm not looking for a younger demographic for the podcast. Um, so, but that's amazing, isn't it? That's amazing. And I thought, that's it. That explains everything. That explains my glamour, my rhythm. <laughs> this is clearly the thing I, and I just said to her Devin is there any chance the pop star is my father and she said no no the pop star's not your father and then Mel went "Mom also dated the captain of the West Indies cricket team didn't you mum she said no I didn't she said yes you did she said he wasn't the captain then; he batted at number four <laughs> I said you, you dated the captain of the West Indies cricket team and Mel said yes she was a cricket groupie when she was a teenager she followed them all over Australia she said no didn't. She said, "Yes, you did. You went on tour with them." She said, "No, I didn't. Hold on, I might have." She went, "No, I just went to Perth and Hobart. Oh, oh no, maybe I did go to Auckland." I was like, "What? What?" And I said, uh, "I said, Devon, is there any chance that my father could be the captain of the West Indies cricket team?" And she said, "Deborah, the captain of the West Indies cricket team is black. I don't know a lot about sport." <laughs> I said, how would you even meet him? She said, oh, I worked at a hotel then. I was a receptionist at a hotel and they all came in there. They all came in there. James Mason, the film star, came in there. I thought, oh, my God, James Mason is my father. I said, is there any chance James Mason is my father? She said, no, James Mason is not your father. She said, they all came in there, though. Helen Mirren came in there. I said, oh, my God. Please tell me that Helen Mirren is my father. She She said, Deborah, I pretty much can guarantee you Helen Mirren isn't your father. I said, should we do a paternity test, though, just in case? And she said, you remind me of my father. He was always wanting to know. When I got pregnant, I wouldn't say who the father is because he wanted to beat the man up. So she said he used to come and visit me in the unmarried mother's home, which was the sad dormitory of shame that she had to be sent to so the neighbours wouldn't see that she was showing. And she said every time he visited me there, he'd always say, who's the father, who's the father, because he wanted to beat the man up. But I would never tell him. And then she announced, and this is where it all gets a bit Jerry Springer that she was going to fly back to Queensland, where she was originally from, and go and see her father 24 hours before I was about to arrive in the same location. And this is why. She had never once discussed with her parents from the day she came home from the unmarried mother's home to that day, my existence. They had just pretended it hadn't happened. And she said, I'm going to go home. I'm going to go and see my dad. And I'm going to tell him you've come back because I want him to meet you. And I went, Devon, you don't have to do that. She said, no, I want everyone in the world to know that you're my daughter. And I thought, "Mm, you don't need everyone in the world to know. (laughs) You need him to know, because he made you feel ashamed. And my main concern was, this man was 92 years of age with a serious heart condition, (laughs) and I look exactly like his dead wife, Audrey. And I thought... He's going to open the door, and I'm going to be the last thing he ever sees. (laughs) Anyway, he opened the door. He had tears in his eyes. He said, oh, thanks for finding us. We sat down and we talked, and he told me about how he'd met Audrey. And Audrey, he clearly saw as an angel. He said war had been declared on his 19th birthday. He'd been flown out to train as a communicator on a fighter plane. Audrey had been on the ground, and he'd been in the air, and he'd met her. And the first time they'd ever spoken was in Morse code. And he said, we spoke in Morse code all our lives. We didn't want the children to know what we are talking about. We'd tap it out on the table. (laughs) And he'd clearly adored her, and, you know, it was wonderful talking to him. And then I said, are you glad I came back? Did you always wonder what happened to me? And he said, no, never really thought about it, to be honest. You know, they've let women into the Lions Club. I was like, what? He said, yeah, the Lions Club. The Lions Club's like the Rotary Club. He said, yeah, they've let women into the Lions Club. I was against it, we're all against it, but they're in now, and there's nothing you can do. (laughs) I had a quick Google. They let the women into the Lions Club in 1987. (laughs) And he clearly just didn't want to talk about it anymore. But then later on, I was chatting to someone else, and he came over and he sidled up next to me. And he said, uh, yeah, I remember when we took Devon to that place, that unmarried mother's home. I remember. Best thing for her. No one cares what you do now. But they did then, so that's what you did. No one cares now, but they did then, and so that's what you did. And I looked at him and I thought, huh, I think you're pretty happy that you now can look at your grandchildren and they can be whoever they want. They can be gay, they can be married, they can be unmarried, they can be pregnant, they can be not pregnant. And I think the patriarchy has as much a hold over you as it did my birth mother, as it did anybody. And I had this real moment of connection with him. And in that silence, he just looked at me and then went, you know, they've let women into the Lions Club. (laughs) Thank you very much. time to introduce our guest i hope so um okay otherwise this is awful if you're like nope (laughs) (laughs) he's got a fantastic show out in the west end at the moment called my family not the sitcom but you will also know him from uh, he brought football home (laughs) he brought football home uh Badil and skinner unplanned uh he's a novelist he's a stand-up comedian he's terribly talented that's him that is it's david Badil! First
3: man, everyone. Um, Yes, first man. I'm a feminist, but I have a cock and balls. (laughs) Actually, you have had people with cock and balls on before, but they didn't identify as a man. Is that not correct?
0: Yes. And we've got a non-binary person on tomorrow. We have had transgender women on the show.
3: Right. I am completely binary. I use a Mac and a PC. Cut that joke because it was shit. (laughs) I've been trying. I put that joke to Morwenna my my wife. I can say my my wife. And um, basically, I'm terrified. That's what that's what's obviously coming across here. Of course, you Uh, say your uh, wife. No, but uh, actually, she doesn't know. She doesn't acknowledge that. Um, But anyway, I put that to her. She's a comedian as well, and I said uh, because I'm the first you know, cis, gender, mm. male, binary person, I feel there might be a joke about, you know, I'm binary, and then get binary wrong. And she just said, don't do that joke. And you see, I should listen to it.
2: <laughs>
0: it's true. So the first thing we've learned is straight white men should listen to their wives. Mm. This is that's, a, that's true. That's the jumper we're getting you. Ye. Uh, so, yeah, we are very excited to have you on. Would you say you're a feminist, David?
3: Yeah. Thank you for coming. <laughs> That's the only reason you got me on. I am a feminist. I, I mean, interestingly enough, as I grow older, because uh, I am quite old, I'm 52, although interestingly, in terms of what you were saying before about wanking, my sperm is not geriatric. <laughs> Now, now that's a very interesting callback that no-one got, but you yes, said if you don't wank every yes. three days, yeah. your sperm becomes geriatric. Yeah. So that was really a joke about how I'm old, but I still wank.
1: I know, it was really good, but you also pointed at me while saying it quite aggressively. <laughs> <laughs> so it sounded a little bit I threatening. Wasn't, like, just it wasn't so you meant know, to be
2: Victorian-like. Like. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> yes. It was
0: Victorian, uh, did Sound very Victorian. Did Victorian gentlemen come in and doff their cap and say, My sperm is not geriatric, good lady? (laughs)
3: No, I thought. Not a
0: single drop of my jizz. Uh, No, I (laughs) thought. It's a day
3: over four hours. (laughs) I was purely referring to the pointing. It might have appeared a bit Victorian, like you're a lady, but you spoke about wanking. That was like a sort of telling off point, but it wasn't meant to be that. But um, as I get older, I find that my politics become more and more abstruse in the sense that I no longer see myself, as I probably did when I was younger, as left-wing or right-wing or whatever, uh, like, because I don't want to track mm. my politics along any kind of particular model. So I want to look at whatever it is and say, OK, I think this about it. I don't have to think X or Y yeah. because I am... Except for sexual politics, which in almost every single case, I think, no, I'm a feminist. It's so obvious, that's the problem. The point is, if you look at the way that gender inequality works and the very, very deep structures in which it works. If you're a person who is not stupid, it's so obvious that that exists. So after, if you're a clever person, I think you have to be a feminist. So basically, I've turned it around to being nice about me, uh, <laughs> that thing, which you itself have. is quite patriarchal. Yeah, I
1: know, I'm very The problems with people who don't think they're feminists usually is that they don't define feminism in the same way that we do, and that's why we are, if that makes sense. Usually, when someone says to you, oh, I don't agree with feminism, I think that's just men hating women who can't get laid, that's not feminism no. against. If you said, oh, it's about gender equality and everyone having equal rights, no matter what kind of body they're in, they'd be like, Yeah.
3: Oh, oh, you're a feminist. Yeah, well, then everyone is a feminist. Who doesn't think that?
1: Um,
0: Some some cultures and religions do think that... I've I've read a book called Twitter. (laughs) (laughs) Loads of people on that don't seem to agree. But usually, again,
1: when you talk to them about a certain issue, it would make complete sense to them. Sometimes it's a misunderstanding of a movement.
0: And I think it's easy for men to feel threatened. Like, if you're used to having a pie, and that's your pie, and then someone comes in and goes, ''Could I share the pie?'' And you go, well, no, it's my pie. And then you have to explain to them that whole pie isn't yours by birthright.
3: Yeah, if you talk about pies, I'm no longer a feminist. I, <laughs> I, I, I do like to have a lot of yes. pie, if but I possibly can.
1: It is. But, no, but it's not just men. Like that thing, that's why we're having so much problem with intersectionality, is all of us have privileges we think we have earned because they're ours. Mm. And that's a lot of this done I think the really interesting discussion at the moment is the biggest divide among people isn't race or gender or sexuality at the moment, it's economic. And actually, if you're poor in any group anywhere in the world your life is worse than other people and you're going to have more health problems, you're less likely to work, your children have a lower IQ because of nutrition. There's things like that that cross everything. Yes.
3: Yeah, but, but but it, it, sorry.
1: No, but the, but the nature... See, I didn't want
3: to interject there in a much more hefty way than I normally wouldn't want to interject. <laughs> It was noted, yeah. and a point was given. <laughs> there
0: there was a, I'm just going to put a point there for not man <laughs> One, One gold star. Excellent. Uh, yes, no, the, oh, God, I've done that like a Jewish star now. Now I feel like... Oh, now like, you're anti-Semitic. Oh, oh, God,
3: David, uh, I'm really sorry. If you want to get a yellow crayon, I'll oh put that on God. my arm, if you like. <laughs>
0: I genuinely did that. I was like, one star for you. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs>
3: Oh, you Nazi. Uh,
0: that is basically what's happened. That's
3: quite a sexy idea. Can I say that? Uh, no, OK. <laughs> I can't say Clearly I can't it's, say it. Yeah, I don't know, I just had an image of you in the whole uniform yeah, and it was quite I, sexy. That,
0: that, yeah, this is why we don't have men on. <laughs> <laughs> this is, I've just remembered. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I am really genuinely blushing now okay. at the idea
3: of, Yep. Yeah. It's only because of the sort of Jewish thing that I think I'm OK to say that. Oh, yes, no,
0: David is famously Jewish your Twitter description is a Jew.
3: No, it's not a Jew, it's Jew. Okay. <laughs> it's a very a important Jew. difference. A Jew it's I don't think is funny, Jew is funny. But <laughs> actually a very brilliant female academic called Devorah Baum has just written a book about the Jewish joke and she does a whole bit about various Jewish comedians who use the word Jew uh, in very specific ways. Louis CK does a whole bit mm. about saying the word Jew in different mm. ways and actually so did Lenny Bruce. It's a word you can never completely reclaim mm. because other ethnic Minorities mm-hmm. who have reclaimed a word—it's normally the swear word. It's the bad word. When black people reclaim their word, that's a swear word. But Jew actually is the word mm-hmm. for what mm-hmm. I am. So it's actually yes. very complicated to yeah. reclaim it. But look, I feel I've made it about Jews now. No, the, it's you know, it's it, it's we're like calling it the guilty stage. Jew, which actually <laughs> sounds incredibly like a Nazi publication. But. <laughs>
1: But it's not exactly the same. But in terms of um, phrases like that's girly or throws like Mm. a girl. Again, that was our actual term for a young woman. That is an insult.
3: Yes, that's Um, true.
1: Men being called anything feminine is always insulting. And again, it was the real words that were used against us.
3: that's true.
0: I'm very interested in your show. So if you haven't seen the show, has anyone seen the show? Just here, if you've seen the show. Great. Did you enjoy it? Yeah, great, super. See, you've already got fans, David. Yeah, it
3: was only about four, but nonetheless... (laughs) No, that's
0: good, because the rest of them haven't bought a ticket yet. Those people who cheered a dead to you...
3: You're right, you're you're brilliant with that, the commercial demographic. You're very, very good with that. Listen,
0: anyone who's seen the show can leave now, because (laughs) David's already sold you a ticket. That's true. What's interesting about it is that David is talking about the infidelities of his mother... Uh, who's passed away, but talking about them in a way where he owns the story but doesn't own her sexuality? Yeah, it's a love story, though. The Infidelities, I think, makes it slightly
1: misleading in terms of lots and lots of people. It's one man Mm. outside of her marriage, which is also another love story. And also, and the reason it's so perfect for comedy is that all being told via her son, the awkwardness embarrassment already of the kind of parent sexuality and you have it from your, your parents and then also this other relationship. Yeah,
3: the other thing that makes it perfect for comedy is the man that she was in love with was a golfing memorabilia salesman and <laughs> as a result, my mother turned our whole lives over to golf. Okay, Our house became essentially a shrine to Lee Trevino. Uh, yeah, so a lot yes. of the comedy comes from the eroticization mm. of golf in yeah. my show, <laughs> yeah. I would say the show is, I think, that point of view is is one of the things that makes it, I guess, interesting to talk about from a feminist perspective. It's about my family in general, so it also includes a lot about my dad's dementia, and a lot about how we remember the dead in general. And so there's quite a few things that are taboo breaking in normal terms, but I always know when I'm doing that show that the thing that people are shocked by is me talking about my mum just shagging. My mum shagging quite a lot with this bloke. I talk about her shagging my dad as well. I talk about her masturbating. And my mum as a sexual being, a son doing that, it it seems incredibly medieval, that should be a taboo but I can feel it Mm. in the audience that they're amazed and I do it completely without judgement, yeah. I mean with absolutely no judgement. Also
1: you show a moment that I love so much about from your unplanned show that's you and Frank and your mum's the person doing the secretary writing up on the side Yeah
3: that's right, basically, I mean I don't want to give too much away because it is a story and, I, and there will be spoilers if I tell too much but basically at one point I make a joke about my mum, because we were three brothers in our oh, family, yes, yeah, yeah. Uh, my mum only having had sex with my dad three times and my mum, I should say this is a programme called Beauty and Skinner Unplanned, my mum was on the show, she was the secretary which is the person we used to write stuff down We would pick someone out of the audience to do that So they would write down the subjects we talked about that week So I make a joke about my mum having had sex with my dad Only three times because there are three brothers And she says, how do you know they were all from your father? Now, <laughs> that turns out to have a lot of resonance in my show. But I then say, and, you know, I put myself at your mercy now, Guilty Feminist audience, I then say, Mother, that's not really defending yourself, that's just calling yourself a bit of a slag, right? And she says, it's not that, it just suggests I had a good life. And I kind of yes. love that. Yeah, I think I that's mean, absolutely that's brilliant. And, that,
1: and that's that. As your mum as a character, you want to applaud it, it's so fantastic. Yeah. It's really, really brilliant. No, it is really but brilliant. But the, the, interestingly... Your radio show, that exact same thing about the sex... Must have had sex four times. Is now, that's the interesting. That your radio show...
3: In fact, I'll explain yes, it because sure. you don't really know about this do you because you were on it you were yes. on the very episode yeah. uh, I think well, Sarah was on it quite a lot I did a show uh, for Radio 4 that some of you may have heard of mainly probably through the scandal that happened called Don't Make Me Laugh and it was a show that I hosted in which comedians had to talk about obviously funny subjects I mean really stupid giggly mm. subjects whilst trying not to get laughs from an audience and if you got a laugh from the audience the mic would pass to the next comedian so we were doing that show it was going really well and it was on Radio 4 at 630 and then one of the subjects we had was and we always had a voice saying there is nothing funny about to introduce it there is nothing funny about the fact that her majesty the queen must have had sex at least four times right so we did that and then rather stupidly that particular round that episode went out on the day of the queen's 90th birthday <laughs> And Radio 4 had more complaints than they've ever had for anything else, and that show has since been banned. It's been banned. It's, it's, I know, I'm 52, I'm a sex pistol, it's fantastic. But nonetheless, the show was going out, it was its second series, it had been promoted from 11pm, it was always quite an edgy show. Yeah. And it was promoted from 11pm to 6.30, and I think we'd had two shows that had gone out, and then that show went out, they immediately wiped that show from my so it's gone, you can't get that show, wow. and then demoted the rest of the series to 11.05, and then didn't recommission the series after. That, but the male, mm-hmm. which completely got behind the what is this vile show Banned doing? Yeah, yeah, this band, this filth, it's terrible. And Majesty, the queen, she might have been listening. It's on just after the archers, <laughs> <or> whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, You know, they went crazy. Now, the joke that was referred to as the absolutely unacceptable joke was that in an effort to stop the audience laughing, Russell Kane, a comedian who was on the show, tried to make it political, quite a clever way of stopping the audience laughing, because that's what you've got to do. So he said, every time a new head emerges from Her Majesty's vulva, it makes me think of republicanism, right? So that was it. I remember being in the edit and saying to the producer, oh, is this going to be a problem? And he went, nah. that will be all right, won't it? They'll they'll comply at the lawyers or whatever. So we put it in, and honestly, that has been repeated over and over again by the mail and by the right-wing press as an example of something awful. Now... If we'd made a joke about the Duke of Edinburgh's penis, and I know he's just retired, so sorry, Phil, if you're listening, uh, <laughs> you're going to have more trick sperm. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> I'll tell you what: we'll put this out, and he'll die the same afternoon, and this show will be cancelled.
3: Yeah. It won't. You'll be celebrated, I think, as a as a wonderful thing. I think Duke of Edinburgh may be spending more time with his penis now that he's retired. I don't know, yeah. but either way, yeah. I think. <laughs>
1: no, you're, you're absolutely right. So, what's very interesting about it is actually it was an anatomical comment that wasn't the point of the joke. It wasn't trying to be disrespectful about her. It was actually treating her as an absolutely normal human being who had given birth to children. And so the offence found is very questionable. Like, oh, it's... Is is it that being a woman is disgusting? Mm. Well, Well, it's the word vulva, isn't it? Yeah, but even that... You had to discuss... You probably don't remember,
3: Sarah. But you interjected at that point. That was part of the thing is that comedians could raise, you know, no, no, that's a problem by talking about whether or not vulva was the correct word in that circumstance. And we all agreed it was, I think, in the end. So he wasn't even using any kind of silly word for that. Yes. Region. No, yeah, I'm sorry. I've got the have got the Queen in my head right, now. Yeah. Thinking, what's right for the Guilty Feminist podcast or what's right for Buckingham Palace. I'm yeah. thinking now. That's, that's a difficult Venn diagram. It's, it's
0: a difficult crossover. I assume Her Majesty does listen to the at least the odd episode of the Guilty Feminist. Oh God, yeah, yeah. I'm sure well, she does. It is on Her Majesty's internet, after all. <laughs>
3: yeah, 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 yeah. I wonder what she would say. I'm a feminist, but about the Queen.
0: Oh, that's I, interesting. I, I
1: own all the other women <laughs> <laughs> and, and swans. <laughs>
3: So anyway, the question is why? Why? What is unacceptable? about referring to Her Majesty's but also, vulva. This is
1: where offence, sometimes it's very difficult when you are emotionally triggered by something to be able to be rational about it. But when you aren't, the offence is very interesting because it feels like, oh, what is it about those things that mm. is causing you to be upset? Quite often I think it's about things that are very visual. Actually, it's again, like a Louis C.K. routine, his routine about saying the N-word. When someone says the N-word, you make the other person in their head say the word yeah. <laughs> that you're referring to. Yeah. And it's a really great routine for that reason. Something about that Russell Kane joke... Um, or comment made the person hearing it visualise the queen giving birth and that's what they're angry about
3: yeah but also it makes her a body doesn't it which is very important I mean because actually earlier on in the same not the same series I think the previous series maybe in the pilot One of the first things you think of, because I always wanted with that show, to have something that, even when you said it, would in a very childish way make you giggle. So I think even in the pilot, there is nothing funny about the fact that the Queen goes to the toilet. And that is, I think, what you think of when you're four as the most obviously giggly thing. But actually, it's sort of the same thing. It's Mm -hmm. saying this person who actually, even though we might think we don't, we deify we are reducing to an actual physical all, person who does yeah. what we all do.
1: All, this is the thing about satire and power as well, though, isn't it? You only have power if you can't be imagined going to the toilet.
3: Yes. Well, I mean, if in North Korea, someone had made a comment about Kim Jong-un mm. going to the toilet, they would be executed. Well, he claims he doesn't
1: yeah. go to the toilet. Oh, really? It's a perfect example. Does he? If you look at websites of weird things about North Korea, <laughs>
3: you find... <laughs> all he's a quite t- a big bloke never to go no, to the toilet, I have to why say. Why he's
1: so big. <laughs> 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 it's all inside there. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so dead. Huh? Um,
2: yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, seriously,
0: he may be in charge by Wednesday week, the way Trump's going. Yeah. So. <laughs> that is a really interesting example that what caused the problem was, in fact, a female archetype,
2: wasn't it? Mm. It, it was
0: transgressing yes.
2: on a yeah. female archetype.
1: It
0: was, it was thought to be disrespectful to actually talk about her like she was a regular woman. Yeah. Yes. Or, but also, it's Madonna whore dichotomy, so she's Madonna... And you've said something that stepped into whore territory. She's not actually
3: Madonna because she'd have adopted a child if she was Madonna. <laughs> sure, sure.
0: Not that Madonna. So no, but no. The Madonna. No,
3: I get it, yeah. That's, that was I just a joke. I'm that was taking a joke. Your star oh, away. Star's gone. I taking in, your star away. As a Jew, I'm relieved, I, heard I have to Madonna. say.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, when you talk about your mum on stage, you never say, and I know you're going to think that I should be cringy about this, but I'm not.
3: Yeah. But I'm really not.
0: That's what I was going to ask you. I, mean, gets, I, mean,
3: I should explain, it gets very cringy. I don't want to explain everything, but one of the things about the show is people tweet about it a lot. It's really lovely, but occasionally they say things which, if you haven't seen the show, will really not make sense. So I got one this morning that said something like, I love the show, it made me laugh, but it also made me cry, it's so poignant, hashtag clitoris on fire. <laughs> now, <laughs> if you've seen the show, you will know what that refers to. Well, I'll tell you vaguely what i am afraid. My mum wrote quite a lot of erotic poetry <laughs> to this man, and at one point she does refer to her clitoris being on fire not literally although I do in the comedy of it take yeah. it that way but that's part of the point that you're is that it gets very very anatomical and genital and whatever the way my mum's poetry is and the way my mum talks about it because she was unbelievably free with sexuality and I mean this is a whole other point I think it's partly to do with my mum was a child of the 60s mm-hmm. but not like Susan Sontag or Gloria Steinem she was someone who lived in Wilson Green who was a holocaust refugee who didn't really get what you were supposed to do in the glamorous way mm-hmm. so she just made what sense of it she could also, and that involved having you know an affair yeah. with a golfing memorabilia salesman and writing shit erotic poetry yeah. really.
1: But what, I <laughs> thought some that, of it was rather No good. I, that's
3: true I don't want to call it that really. (laughs)
1: What I love about that as well is when people ask you, like, but you're so open about it. It's like you're her son. Like, of course you are. This is your mother. All these things that are cringy and embarrassing at the time create us. Like, so you also talking openly about those things.
3: That is unusual, though. I think, and what I think I've realised is, uh, is that my way of dealing with it is unusual. I mean, people talk about the show. You know, this sounds very self-aggrandising. It's not meant to be. People say, oh, the show's so brave and blah blah blah. I don't think it's brave because my process is just to talk as much as possible about the things that I am thinking about. Mm. And my mum died uh, and my dad's got dementia. And those are big things and I need to talk about them. And as a comedian, I try and talk about them in comedy. So I don't understand why you would want to repress that Mm. stuff. But I know that's not necessarily usual.
0: She was a child saved from, she came with her parents. She was born in Nazi
3: Germany and then she was smuggled out of Germany with her parents. How old was she? Uh, she was like well actually that's slightly confusing my mum I did who do you think you are and suddenly in, uh, when we were filming who do you think you are my mum said I don't think your grandparents my parents are actually my parents I think that my mum's brother is my actual father my uncle your great uncle and she had all these reasons for it but it turned out she had two different birth certificates oh. which was part of that and obviously if a child is being smuggled out of yes. Nazi Germany there are going to be false papers and all mm. sorts of things so I went off in search of that I never really found it out but um, she was a baby she was like somewhere between six months and a year old is not entirely clear.
0: I found it absolutely extraordinary to go from being saved from the Holocaust to living this life of extreme sexual expression and freedom and then having a son like you, like you're one generation away from the Holocaust, but you've played stadiums saying that yeah. you who that is. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Like, like Hitler
3: would hate that. Is that Hitler, what you're saying?
0: Yeah. <laughs> I'm sort of saying like you're so free and you're so I don't want to make any assumptions, but I think you're atheist.
3: Yeah, yeah.
2: You're so 100%.
0: free and comedic and full of expression. Do you know what I mean? Like so much of who we are is the society we're allowed to operate in. That's why I really think feminism has to be what we do and not just what we believe in because the more we can make space for women and men in a patriarchy to be who they really are the more we can all live lives of freedom and truth and moments of happiness.
1: Deborah, I'm going to cry, what you just said was so beautiful. (laughs) It was lovely, it was
3: really lovely. Actually, it was lovely. Thank you. Do we have to stop? No, we can't.
0: Does anyone have a question? This one there.
1: Uh, You've spoken a lot about theme architects today and I'm a business owner and I was wondering how you would suggest battling against them in the workplace.
0: Uh, Battling against archetypes in the workplace, do you have a specific example?
1: So I'm a business owner, I have quite a few competing businesses that are male-owned and
0: I am therefore maybe looked upon as slightly less knowledgeable, put down in the workplace um, that I won't maybe make as much of myself
1: as others will. So it's quite difficult to battle against that.
2: I was wondering if you had any advice.
1: It's really difficult what you're going through because the only thing you can control or change is yourself and that's not to say who you are is wrong so there's two things you either accept who you are which might be a gentler version of a business person than they are or the other ways to try and become more like them which I think is something that lots of people try and do and again not a gender thing if you're working with people who are always shouting you end up shouting or be more flexible in how you do it, but the main thing is not to be attacking yourself. If they're doing it, they do it with CBT. Like you can spend so much time thinking the negative thoughts, or other people are triggering that. But that's the thing you can get out of your life. You're kind of like you say hello to the thought and then you get rid of it. Like, okay, that person doesn't respect me. I respect me. Who cares? And it might be that that will just make you enjoy your job more because that's the main thing is you should love doing it.
0: I'm, I'm doing a day called Include Yourself, which is a Guilty Feminist Leadership event for women, and I would suggest you come on that. But I would say take up space and assume inclusion. What we tend to do is tentatively request inclusion, go, will I be included here? And that's the product of our experience or at least the experience of our tribe. David, I'm going to ask you to answer this question. Okay. How do you do what men do? Because you're a very confident man. Hmm. You don't request inclusion. You assume inclusion.
3: Okay. I think you have to, don't you, as a stand-up comedian to some extent, don't you?
0: Yes, but you do it more than I do. What is it that you're doing? Do you know what you're doing?
3: No, Uh, but I would say only one thing about me, which may be easier for men given the patriarchy. I don't know, but it is certainly true about me, so I can only speak for myself. I mean, as a comedian, I have incredibly little range. Right, I can hardly do a funny voice, and the reason for that is I am ridiculously comfortable with who I am, and ridiculously uncomfortable with being anyone else than exactly who I am. That the T.S. Eliot said this thing once about how people create a face to meet the faces that they meet. I cannot do that. It's the only thing, really, that makes me feel deeply anxious and uncomfortable. Is trying to adjust who I am for the person that I'm speaking to. That's why I can't do any, even any voices or whatever. Like my dad is Welsh, I can't even do a Welsh accent. So I think that helps with confidence because I think if you are an absolute homing missile of who you are then in a way you don't feel the nervous anxiety of like am I being the person I should be in this circumstance so for me that's that and it might be easier for men I don't know so
0: inflexibility is yeah. David's answer <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. be who you are because you literally cannot be anyone else <laughs> yes, that
3: is what <laughs> I'm, actually, I'm saying it's the confidence
1: yeah. thing it's the confidence yeah. thing if you're not questioning who you are you aren't walking into a room with the same anxiety so that is something that everyone can build up
3: I mean I do see see it almost as a condition of being... And sometimes I'm going to use the word disability. Now, that's obviously ridiculous in terms of people with actual disability. But the reason I say it is I don't want to just see it as a kind of empowering, positive thing about me. I just know I can't be anyone else. And so, therefore, I have to work within the self I am.
0: I do know what you mean. I have a strong sense of myself as well, but I do... I find myself bending to be liked or just slightly altering my opinion or my language... I mean, some of that's good because it's including other people, but it's when you do it, where you do it, how you do it, and what's your motive for doing it. Is it to accommodate others or is it so that they will like you and everyone has to like me all of the time?
3: And but that liking thing, is, that is, I think, a patriarchy thing. It seems to me that women, pressure is put on them to please more than men. That they do have to adjust themselves more to the requirements of the room or whatever. I, Having it seems a to son me, and
0: a daughter, do you speak about this to them differently?
3: Um, no, because my daughter—I mean, I don't—I try not to inject any kind of difference in a way between them. I try—I mean, they are very different, but you know, in terms of the way I relate to them, it's completely—I mean, that's, that comes down to me again. I don't have any agenda in the way i relate to anyone but I do just you li- talk
0: to your daughter about that fact that she may get more of what our listener is talking about there
3: uh no i haven't, and that's a failure as a father <laughs> i'm sorry uh but i well, actually she was going to come today my daughter's coming i really wanted to come today and she is a feminist uh, and i don't feel the need to sort of tell her stuff because in a way i guess that might feel a bit patriarchal yeah i mean almost literally
0: yeah can we quickly have that question there Um, So today is the final round of the French presidential election and Marine Le Pen is in the final and I was wondering whether you think her political image or the personality she's presented has interacted with any of the kind of female archetypes or whether she's managed to kind of avoid them and kind of the same question for uh, Hillary Clinton and also uh, Theresa May. Oh, well, marrying a pen, I mean, the fascists didn't come up in the uh, Jungian <laughs> archetypes because it's not normally it's a female normally a,
3: It's normally a bloke, thing, isn't it? Is it? It's it is normally, always a bloke. It's always a bloke. Demagogue bloke, isn't it? But in terms of politics, like one of the reasons I've retreated from political models is I've noticed that when fascism happens, although it's always got an economic background, at heart it's always some bloke with a terrible narcissistic insecurity who's got into power. That's so what true. Hitler, Stalin, Trump, that's what they all are. So it's kind of unusual for it to be a woman, I think.
1: Yeah. Um, in terms of archetypes, I think that's what's very interesting is in politics – The strength that you have to have actually has no relation to being right or wrong. It's never, ever apologising and not being seen to deviate or correct yourself. And so actually, I think the women who are in politics, like Theresa May and Hillary Clinton, what's unfortunate sometimes is um, if I was a politician, I would cry all the time. And I'd be a really good politician, but I'd also find something so incredibly sad in terms of compromising or not being able to win or not being there yet or not being able to find the money. Someone's going to be affected. You can't make everyone happy. The world is not fair. Some people will have a better time. And how do we make it slightly better? And I would be seen to be really weak because of that. Mm -hmm. But in real life, I think that's a strength of mine. Like, I mean really well and I'm doing my best. And politicians, it's never that. Theresa May, obviously, she's the one I'm most familiar with. I think... Repeating things over and over again, mm. like you're stupid, saying the same thing every as little sound bites, because actually most people are engaging with politics in the same way they engage with a butter advert. Like you don't, people don't have a lot of time. People are really busy, mm. and they just want to believe you. Like get your country back, make, make it you great, great again. again. You go, yep, yeah. yeah, that sounds nice. Yes, yeah. please. You project onto well, one
3: it. of the archetypes that she's trying to project at the moment. Interestingly, is that bloody difficult woman thing? She's brought that back. That yes. was actually said as a, about as a compliment. Her. Yeah, but well, yeah, but exactly. there's, there's,
1: there's the conspiracy theory. which was absolutely leaked because what everyone in Britain wants to think is she's there with her feet under the table digging her heels in going no way I'm not discussing things with you we're going to get what we want and people love her for that they're responding Mm. to it a lot.
3: So I think I couldn't bear it the fact that Linton Crosby who's the spin person Mm. had clearly said to her oh this bloody difficult woman thing will play very well in the heartlands so make out that's what you're doing. You think, "No, What this is actually about Mm. Brexit and I don't really know that much but I know one thing it's about very complex negotiations about trade deals (laughs) it's It's not actually about going in and saying, I'm a bloody difficult woman, I'm going to give you what for. That's bollocks. That's the
0: worst thing you can do when you're trying to get something, when you've given up everything you've got. We're starting with nothing. They don't have to give us anything. So why don't I start by insulting them? If you were on a date and that was the starter for ten... You wouldn't be sleeping with them. I might if it was wine. <laughs> I might have to, if it I was might Tom to Hiddleston. <laughs>
2: um,
0: and just to close that, mm. you are definitely going to get John Ham to come on the podcast, aren't you? Just to let's say that live here on air now. That, I mean, by live on okay. air, I do mean if you give, on a podcast, me, if you give me
3: three
1: years, I'm going to work really <gasps> hard.
3: Can I just say that I think all this love of Ham is also anti-Semitic. <laughs> <laughs>
0: So do you have anything to plug, David?
3: Uh, well, my show is still happening. It's happening until June the 3rd. My family on the sitcom at the Playhouse Theatre. And I would really love everyone listening to this to come, men, women feminists, but not horrible sexist people.
0: Ah, uh, very good. Very yeah. good. Well played for our target audience. <laughs> <Yeah. then.
3: laughs> well played, that's it.
0: No, seriously, do go and check it out. It's in the West End. It's a lovely night out. It's very funny. The people in front of me were whispering, I didn't tell you this, and they were going, before the show, no, did David Biddle write this? Or is he in it? Like, no, he just wrote it. No, he just wrote it. I thought, oh, they think it's a play.
1: Yeah, lots yeah. of people think it's a um, play. They were so I do a bit, expecting. I do
3: a bit about how people think it's a play. How they think it's a lovely play about dementia. And then it's mainly about my my mum's clitoris um, it, I, I, I
1: they, t- they did look disappointed <laughs> I t- no they didn't I took my mum to go and see it and I would really recommend that if you want to have really fun chats afterwards
2: <laughs> <laughs> go
0: with your mum yeah, I uh, do, because yes, it will bring taking, up a chatty chat about her yes, sex
1: life or your or anyone I think it's a, it's you wrote a me the
3: most brilliant email I have to say I mean actually this isn't a joke I, I, a I, mean, I, I cried <laughs> I know I cried well at, Sarah, at Sarah's email because she said she, you're, t- you're taking your mum mm. and I mean actually you might not like me saying this because. Oh, because yes, I think, but it was such a beautiful thing to say particularly for another comedian because comedians at some level much as they might actually be kind of in and friendly to other comedians they're always slightly jostling for position and then Sarah said this thing that her mum had come to my show and said to her afterwards, I didn't realise that comedy could do that yeah. right, and I really found that moving which yeah.
0: I found quite upsetting when David said that because you'd also said that to me previously about my adoption show <laughs>
2: well actually
1: they're the only two shows I've ever taken my mum to see because my mum doesn't Aww. like comedy but my mum uh, she um, looked for her adoptive brothers and found them a few Years ago, and I went through its huge process, and your one, and then, and very similarly, my mom's a very sexual woman who had me at eighteen, and then had a sex life yeah. afterwards. So, guys, I just think you're both amazing. <laughs> oh, we think you're amazing, Sarah Pascoe.
0: Do you have anything to plug?
1: Um, if anyone hasn't read my book or bought my book it's called Animal and I'd love for people to read that
2: please
0: it's really good if you haven't read Animal and you haven't seen My Family Not The Sitcom you absolutely should and also please check out Global Pillage at globalpillage.net or come live on June 3rd and 4th Paul Sinha's doing it on June 4th it's going to be absolutely brilliant please come oh do you want to do it David?
3: yeah Brilliant. I don't know what it is, but yes.
0: It's a diversity based comedy panel show, and we do not allow white straight men on unless they bring another
3: diversity. And as you've established, you bring Jewish. Can I bring Jewish, yes. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's time for that to be recognised as a it's proper diversity. So <laughs> yeah.
0: I will get you on June the 4th there if you want to come as well. We'll check your diary.
1: Follow The Guilty Feminist on Twitter at guiltfempod. Check out our Instagram, Instagram.com forward slash The Guilty Feminist. Like our Facebook page. Sign up to our mailing list to get notified as soon as a new episode is released. And please go to iTunes and rate, review, and subscribe.
0: It helps other people to find the podcast. And give it five stars. You can rate every single episode. So you might think, oh, I've gone and I've given the podcast five stars. No. Every single week, <laughs> you can give it five stars. So you're asking for 500 stars. <laughs> David? <laughs> <What>?
3: <laughs> <laughs> Let's not go back to the stars thing. <laughs>
0: you have been listening to The Guilty Feminist with me, Deborah Francis White. Host Sarah Pasco and our very special guest, David Badil, our first man. The recording engineer was Grundy Lazimbra. Music was by Mark Hodge. The producer was Tom Solitsky for the Spontaneity Shop. Thanks to Zoe, Meta, Sally, and everyone at King's Place, as well as all of you for listening. For more information about this and other episodes, visit guiltyfeminist.com. Okay, so I'm going to say live from King's Place in London, then you're going to start clapping you're not going to hear anything I say, then Sarah's going to bring you to a climax. What do I say? You just kind of go like that. Oh. And then... And then... And then... And then... Not like you... No. That's not necessary. And then... And then the applause, once the climax happens, is going to sort of fade away rather than stop sharply. Are we ready? Yeah. <laughs> Live from King's Place in London, the spontaneous. You didn't clap. When I say live from King's Place, that's the point at which you start applauding. No audience has ever failed that. Not one. I mean, we've done so many episodes. I don't know how many, but a lot. Live from King's Place. Oh, no! No! Uh, no, at that point, I didn't say it properly that time.